The title of our message today is Avoiding the Ugly Sin of Self-Righteousness. This is spiritual pride, and it is something that all of us have to deal with. There is not a person alive that doesn't deal with pride in one way or another. And spiritual pride is a campaign you go on to convince people that you are more spiritual than you are. You want, there, there's just something inside of most of us who are serious about following God that we want people to think that we love Jesus more than other people. And in that way, we become pharisaical. We become like the Pharisees. We do what we do to be seen rather than doing it honestly and sincerely. And so Jesus told us, don't be like the Pharisees in your prayers. Don't be like the Pharisees in your tithing. Don't be like the Pharisees in your, your fasting. Don't be like them. And yet we have evangelical Pharisees. We have Calvary Chapel Pharisees. We want to lift ourselves up. And I can tell you, I've been guilty of it, of trying to show myself as being more spiritual than I am. So I'm right there as I'm talking about this topic. It is something that we want to stay away from completely and totally. Now, this, what I want to do here with this uh, parable, and remember, parables have two reasons. To hide truth from people who aren't serious seekers and to reveal truth to those who are serious seekers. So a little moment of evaluation. Are you a serious seeker? Or are you a casual seeker? Do you not really care much? Are you like, how much longer? Or are you like, I want to hear what God has to say. So what I want to do is I want to read this parable to you. First of all, without comment. I, I, I hope I'm going to do better than I did last night because I kept stopping to clarify things as I read through it. I want to read through it first. Then I want us to look at two men that are mentioned here. Then I want to look at two prayers, one good and one bad and then two outcomes of those prayers. And then we'll, we see the surprising ending for, for them especially at the end of this parable. Now Luke also told us what the parable last week meant and he tells us what this parable means. So that's where it starts. So this is verse 9 of Luke chapter 14. Oh, 18. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a long time ago for chapter 14. All right, here it is. Also he spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. One of the reasons that they were confused about this parable that it would have shocked them is because they thought the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers were the most spiritual people you could possibly have. So at one point, Jesus says to them, unless your righteousness 
exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into heaven. And they were shocked because to them they were super spiritual. And I have to be more spiritual than the scribes and Pharisees? There's only one way for that to happen, and that is for God to give you righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And that is what takes place in this parable. So let's consider these two men. Let's read, first of all, the first couple of verses. It says, also we spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves uh, that they were righteous and despised others. And this is what happens in the pharisaical heart. We like what we do. We think that we've achieved certain things and we are not like other men. We compare ourselves to ourselves and the Bible says that's not wise because the real comparison is between us and God. And when we compare ourselves to God, the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. There's none of us that can stand in God's presence and say, I am good. Whatever Isaiah thought before he had the vision of God, the Bible says that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and he said, woe am I, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Whatever you think you are now, when you see God, you will know the truth. And like Isaiah, you will probably say something along those lines. Woe am I, when you see God in all of his righteousness, in all of his glory. Now, the Pharisees started off good. They came out of the Maccabean revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes about 165 BC. He, had he was a Greek ruler who attacked Israel. He slaughtered a pig in the altar and the Maccabeans brought a revolt together. This was a priestly family and they led a revolt against them that was successful. And the Pharisees came out of that. These were men that wanted to do the word of God. They were committed to the word of God. But over a couple of hundred years, they had gotten proud over a couple hundred years, they thought they were better than other people. They thought that they were the keepers of God's word and no one else. And Jesus spoke his harshest words to the scribes and Pharisees. In fact, there is no sin that Jesus rebuked more in the Gospels than pride, specifically spiritual pride. There is no sin. And if he talked about that sin more than any other sin, then there's a reason. He wasn't just, you had to fill time. I got another 10 minutes, I got to speak. Let me just go ahead and fill time. And I, pastors never do that, by the way. All right? Yeah, not, and certainly not me. I'm always running out of time. I'm trying to speed things up. Uh, so let me give you what Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. This whole chapter is full, full of woe unto you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. It's over and over again through Matthew 23. And let me just read you the beginning of it, starting in verse two. This is Matthew 23, verses two through five. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples saying, so he didn't just say this to the Pharisees, he spoke to the multitudes. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, they tell you uh, what they, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. So they were living under the law. We, we don't live under the law. That's very clear in the Bible. We've been set free from the law. The law was weak, it was good, but it was weak in that it couldn't save you. It could reveal you sin, your sin, and it gave a picture of the cross, a picture of a sacrifice through animal sacrifices, 
but it couldn't save you. And so Jesus is speaking to them under the law and says, they said in Moses' seat, so do what they say. However, he goes on to say, but do not do according to their works, for they say one thing and they do another. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. This is what makes things pharisaical. When you're not doing them honestly, but you're doing them so people can see you. And so Jesus said, don't let people see you give. Don't let people see you pray and your God will reward you openly. He said, go in your prayer closet and pray and your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. That's a promise about answered prayer. So first of all, some of you guys are gonna have to go home and clean out your closets so you can get in them because Jesus said, go in your closet and pray. He's just saying, go somewhere private, right? And when you do that, he promised your God in heaven will reward you. There will be rewards for praying in secret. So no one can go, what a great prayer. I love when you pray. You're such an awesome prayer. He also says they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Phylacteries were boxes they would put on their heads. And they still do this, by the way, and, and the back of their hands. And the reason they do it is because in the Old Testament, there was a command to bind the word of God on your forehead and bind it to your hand. What God meant, I think, was that they were to think about God's word and do God's word. Have God's word in your mind and do God's word with your hands. They put boxes on their head and they wrap the, the cord around their arm or on their hand and they wrap their cord around their hands. And to the Pharisee, if a small box with a scripture in it is good, a big box with a scripture in it is better. It's like I used to think with ibuprofen. If two of them are good, six of them are better. <laughs> Dangerous, right? But they put these big boxes on and then they walked around. Look at me. Look at this box on my head. It's huge. I'm really spiritual. It reminds me of when I got saved in the early 70s. Today, when we go somewhere, if we've got 10 seconds, we look at our phone. Just go to Chipotle and look at people in line. Even when they're with somebody, they're looking at their phone. In the 70s, we carried our Bibles with us everywhere, and I had a hardback Ryrie study Bible that I carried everywhere. And if I was getting, you know, coffee, at, well, I, was, I, I drank Dr. Pepper, actually. If I was getting Dr. Pepper in line, I would read my Bible. When I was at Pizza Hut waiting for my food, I would read my Bible. And I was doing it to be seen by men. And we carried our Bibles around everywhere that we went. And just in case I forgot my big Bible so I couldn't impress people with the size of my Bible, I had what I called a switchblade. This was the sword and I had a switchblade, which was a New Testament in my pocket. I could pull that thing out and I could open it up and I could read it and look spiritual as well. Now, I was reading the Word of God to learn it, but I had yet to learn that I wasn't to do things to be seen by men. If that's the reason that you're doing it, Jesus said, don't do it that way. Now, the Pharisees were full of pride. They made their, the hymns on their garments big, so they looked spiritual. They walked around like, I'm such a spiritual guy. Just look at me. Just look at how spiritual I am. And so I want to give you three things the Bible says about pride. The first one is that pride goes before destruction. It says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God is in the business of humbling prideful people. And if you're prideful, 
God will humble you. We'll see that's another promise. People don't put it on a plaque and hang it on their wall, but it is a promise that God says, you've got pride, I will humble you. The second is that pride is an abomination to God. You, you have anything in your life that's an abomination? When I settle down in my chair at night and I want to get my socks off, I wad them up and throw them onto the couch across the way. I'm pretty sure that's an abomination to my wife that I do that. An abomination is something you, and that's not really true, by the way, just so you know. But an abomination is something you really, really hate. And you guys have some things that are an abomination to you. Listen to what God says about pride being an abomination. Everyone, note that, everyone, proud in heart, is an abomination to the Lord. There are a lot of sins in the Bible that God says are an abomination. And a lot of preachers who misuse it, they say that that's an abomination to God when the act is the abomination to God, not the person. However, the proud heart is an abomination to God. That's how much we should run from it. That's how much we should deal with it. That's how much we should humble ourselves. The third thing is that private pride is deceptive. And I have two verses that will tell us this. The first one is Galatians 6, 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So some of you are listening to what I say and you're thinking, boy, this is a really good sermon for all of these proud people in here. <laughs> but you are deceived and have pride yourself. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 13 about sin in general. This is a really important principle of sin because sometimes we go, it's all right that I've got this sin in my life. It's okay that I, I'm this. I'm, it's okay that I have that sin in my life. So here's what it says. But exhort one another daily. We're told to encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Pride is deceitful. And I have heard people justify every single kind of sin. Every one of them. Now, the tax collector. Tax collectors were known as sinners. They were used in the same sentence in the Bible often. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisee said, why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? There's a reason they didn't like tax collectors. They worked for the Romans. They were Jews who would collect taxes. They would add taxes up to be more than what they should be, which, which I wonder if the IRS doesn't do that. If we're audited, and it's found out that we didn't pay as much as we should have, we have to pay it. But if we find out that we paid too much through the audit, they don't care. They're like, no, you don't get money back. I'm like, then we should get money back, right? If they audit me and they find out, because I like to be audit proof in my taxes. I don't want to pay everything. If they audit me, it's going to be like, nope, I'm good. And I asked my CPA, Steve, who goes to the church here, I asked him if we would get him. He goes, no, they don't give it back. It doesn't work that way. So they, they cheated people and they got rich off of it. Zacchaeus, the short guy that climbed the tree and Jesus walked up to the tree and looked up and said, I'm eating at your place today. Listen to what he said after the meal with Jesus. This is his prayer of repentance. This is what he's going to do. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, 
I give half my goods to the poor. He's not saying this is what I do. He's saying this is what I'm going to do. Now, because I have changed, because I've met you, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, so that's how tax collectors would do it. They would give a false accusation of what they owed. They take their money. I, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he also was the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek those which are lost. That's good for us to remember in ministry as well, that we're to seek and preach the gospel to the poor and to go to those who are lost. And that's the tax collectors. Of course, Jesus in his ministry, when he was calling disciples, called guys who were like Nathan, that was said there was no guile in him, Peter, James, and John. And we know that they knew the scriptures very well before Jesus even called them. And they were, they were men that desired to be right with God. And Jesus walked up to a tax collector's table, Matthew, who would write the first gospel in the Bible and said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed them. And I see Peter, James, John, Nathaniel. What? You, we're going to have a tax collector as one of our disciples? But that's whom Jesus came to call. I have three verses about humility because the tax collector is going to represent humility in this parable. And so just as I had three on pride, I've got three on humility. Number one is James 4, 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you humble yourself, God gives you undeserved favor. Grace is undeserved gifts. You want God's grace? Then walk humbly before him. Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor, there is humility. Psalms 149, that tells you there's a lot of Psalms if there's 149. One of the Psalms is 149. There's one more after this. But one, Psalms 149.4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. When a person humbles themselves before God, God saves them, gives them eternity, and transforms them. Now, I would like us now to consider these two prayers, the one of the Pharisee and the one of the tax collector. You could, have, you could not have two more extreme people, one known as spiritual by the crowds and one known as a sinner by the crowds. So we start with the prayer of the Pharisee. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Literally in the Greek, it's he prayed to himself. This, I think, happens a lot. I think when we go to prayer meetings and someone prays for 40 minutes, you're an hour prayer meeting, they pray for 40 minutes. They monopolize the time and pray. And you think, I, I always, I'll, I'll be honest with you. This is what goes on in my mind. Please shut up. That's what I say in my mind. I just want to be honest with you. The person just goes on and on and on. And you got to be careful that you don't pray to yourself. They're not praying to be heard by people. And he prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. What a prayer. And notice that he said, he says in this prayer, he says, I five times. He's really impressed with himself. He's got an eye disease. I, 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 I. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Then he gives a list. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector. Now, all those things were bad. Can you imagine 
you're going to church to make things right with God and somebody stands up with a loud prayer and points you out. Lord, we thank you that we're not like them. I didn't want to point at anybody. Them. I, I imagine this tax collector, this Pharisee's prayer was loud. Don't you think? And I wonder if the tax collector heard him. And I thank you I'm not like that tax collector. And then he says, I fast twice a week. Under the law, you had to fast once a year on the day of Yom Kippur. The Pharisees had taken to fast once a week. This guy fasted twice a week. And here's the thing. It was for nothing but his pride campaign. His fasting, all that hunger did nothing except maybe what he wanted it to do, which was that people would look at him and say, what a spiritual guy. This guy fasts twice a week. And Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees who don't fix themselves up on the day that they fast. They walk around all disjuffled and I'm fasting. I'm so hungry. This guy did that twice a week. He says, I give tithes of all that I possess. So very proud of the fact that he tithed everything. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, you tithe your mint and cumin. They tithed their spices. Imagine going to your spice drawer or your spice rack and pouring out 10% of all your spices, bringing them to the church and dropping them in the agape box. <laughs> and Jesus said, but you neglect righteousness and justice. They were unjust to people. And he says, you should have done the first without leaving the second undone. Meaning, um, he wasn't condemning them for tithing their spices. He was saying, that's okay. You want to do everything to the 10th degree, to the nth degree? Then go ahead, but don't forget justice, treating people properly. They were mistreating people. And so that was his prayer, that eye disease. Now we turn to the prayer of the tax collector. It's a radically different prayer. It says in the tax collector, standing afar off, he knew that he was not worthy to be too close to God. That's a, that's a good place for us to start to know that God is worthy and we are not. Now we are invited to go boldly to the throne to find grace in a time of need in the book of Hebrews. And so when we have things right with God, we can go boldly to the throne and ask for grace to help in some struggle that you're facing and going through. But he stood afar off because he knew he wasn't worthy uh, and he would not raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, so he beat his chest. This is emotional. Not only is he, does he know he's not worthy, so he doesn't come close, he doesn't look up to heaven, but he beats his chest as an act of contrition. He knew he was a sinner. And so he beat his chest. Uh, David said, you don't desire sacrifices or, or else I would give them. Sometimes we negotiate with God for forgiveness of sin. God, if you forgive me, I'm going to tithe. God, if you forgive me, I'm going to go to church every week. God, if you forgive me, I'll pray every day. Like God's like, good, I'm up here in heaven. It's lonely. I need somebody to talk to. Or, you know, church is getting a little sparse. I'd like to get more people there. So go ahead and go. I think that's a good thing. Or I'm going to tithe 10% or 20%. God's like, I've been running out of money. I haven't been able to do the things I want to do. So your giving is going to be good. God, what can you give God? What do, you, what do you have to negotiate with God for, for forgiveness? All you can do is be contrite and say what he says, 
which is God be merciful to me, a sinner. Ask for mercy. Justice would be what you deserve. Mercy is when God holds off justice. No, you're not worthy. Have contrition over your sins and ask God for mercy. It's a very simple prayer. It's a very easy prayer. It might not be easy to do. Calvary Chapel is often, and I'm not just talking about us as a church, but the Calvary Chapel movement is often accused of easy believism, that we give people a chance to get saved and it's easy. And I say, a lot of Calvary guys will defend that. I say guilty as charged. It's easy for you to be saved, at least the steps of it. Having a contrite heart, knowing you're unworthy, that's where God has to give you before you can do the easy thing of saying, come into my life, you before you invite him in. It's easy, but getting to the place where you are humble enough to ask him into your life, that's the hard part of salvation. And that's where this tax collector got to. And this is an incredibly powerful prayer. He had a sense of God's holiness, a sense of his unworthiness, and he showed signs of remorse. And that is not a bad thing. Now, there are two outcomes, and the outcomes of this would shock the disciples. For us, we understand the, the atonement. We understand the substitutionary atonement of Christ. At least most of us do. That Jesus took our place on the cross. That we should have died, but he died in our place. The Bible says he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus exper experienced something on the cross he never experienced by becoming sin so that we could experience something we never experienced, which is righteousness. And so he says of this, of this man, he says, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And that was the mind boggling thing to them that a tax collector who, is, who, who, who cries out to God is the one who would be for, who is the one who's righteous, but the other one would not leave forgiven, who's trying to be religious. And this is the reason that we say religion can't save you. Going to church can't save you. Being spiritual can't save you. It is only as you appeal to the mercy of God and ask him to forgive your sins and invite him in that you are saved. That's the only way that it happens. And, and you are able to do that. You have the door to your life. The Bible says in Ephesians that God chose you before the foundations of the world. He's been thinking about you for a long time. And he moves. And for some of you, this could be your day of glory. The day you invite Christ in and you begin to live for him. Now, he has a surprise ending. That's only part of it. The second part of the surprise ending, this, again, we're very familiar with this, but they weren't. He says, for everyone, and note that word, everyone, for everyone, this is a promise that this is, happens to everyone who has this condition. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That is without exception. Everyone who's on that pride campaign, everyone who wants to show people how spiritual they are and exalts himself, everyone will be humbled. And then he says, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
when we humble ourselves. And the Bible never, never tells us to pray for humility. And I, I, I suggest you don't. God, humble me. Don't pray that prayer. <laughs> this is a better prayer. Lord, help me to humble myself and learn to humble yourself. And remember what false humility is and, and what genuine humility is. False humility is when you're really good at something and somebody says to you, you're really good at that. I take like Johnny who, who, who led his group today. I would say to Johnny, you're really good at leading worship. And if he goes, no, I'm not. I'm not any good. That's false humility. We all go, shuddy. <laughs> Don't, that's not what we're saying. Real humility is not to lift yourself up. R real humility is when you humble yourself before God and know who he is. Real humility is to put other people's interest above your own interest. To not do anything for selfish ambition. That's real humility. And when we do that, then he will exalt us. And when he exalts us, he doesn't exalt us for, for our sake. When he exalts us, he exalts himself for his sake. People then see us and they're drawn to God. They see us being exalted and it's for the glory of God that it takes place. Not for us being exalted, but for him. And remember, Jesus spoke of his exaltation as the cross. I will be glorified. I will finish and be glorified. And he spoke of the cross. So God may use every part of our lives in different ways to exalt us that he might be glorified and that people would come to him. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for the depth of your word. Thank you that you speak to us about this issue that is so real for us that we do things to be seen by men, that we do things to cause people to think that we are more spiritual than we are. Lord, we repent from that. We turn from it and ask that you would help us that we would be able to humble ourselves and we would not have the, the bringing down of those who are prideful. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.